In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, the topic of our prayer as we come before the resurrected Christ, hidden behind the curtain of the properties of bread, we ask you, Lord, to help us understand the dynamics of the cross, because the cross and resurrection are one reality. There's no resurrection without the cross, and the cross doesn't count for anything if there's no resurrection. At face value, when I looked at the schedule of meditation topics, my weaker side said, well, we just got over Lent and Holy Week. Basta. Enough. But I guess whoever put the topics for, or devised the topics for April said, well, since our Lord says we have to pick up our cross every day, just in case we forget, uh, even during this time of the resurrection, uh, we need to bring the cross to our conversations with our Lord. Every day is a good day to meditate on this dynamic of the cross. Why do I say dynamic of the cross? Because the cross always leads to a resurrection. When we tell ourselves and tell each other and are reminded, offered up, it means experience the resurrection vis-a-vis -vis the cross. And today we celebrate the solemnity of the Annunciation. Don't want to say anything that is theologically off. Just for the record, the resurrection of our Lord is the zenith, the climax of the liturgical year. Even though there's more commercialization of Christmas, there's a lot more Santa Clauses out there than Easter bunnies during the Easter season. But nevertheless, Easter is the highest celebration of our Lord's life because it's a celebration of his victory. And we wouldn't have that victory. I'm not going to say the Annunciation. There was a little bit of a, a discussion slash debate among uh, some priests which is the absolute most important feast. Well, I think most people will realize that it's Easter, and, but then they got down to, you know, fine distinctions. Well, even Ascension is more important than the Annunciation, okay. And even Pentecost is more important than the Annunciation. We're dealing with divine persons, so, you know, uh, I guess we want to be very sensitive to our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters. But from a certain perspective, maybe it's the most indispensable occurrence in this history of our salvation. God does those things that we wouldn't have the Holy Eucharist if that teenage girl in Nazareth 2,100 years ago didn't say yes to the angel Gabriel. And so everything's a spin-off from this woman, this girl, by work of the Holy Spirit, obviously, 
But in concert with her yes, everything's a spin-off from that yes. We wouldn't be enjoying this gift, who is God himself, packaged in humanity, without the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'm no scripture scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but in today's Mass, read the Gospel, preached on the Annunciation, and it said that Our Lady was troubled. I mean, if you were visited by an archangel while you were, you know, chilling out in your den, you know, I don't care how tough you are, I think you'd be a little shaken up too. So, you know, she's a normal human being. She's just a kid. She's a teenage girl. All of a sudden, this archangel, whose name means power of God, you know. And then she ha- receives her vocation. And if we just look at it a bit theologically, she did not suffer the effects of original sin. And that meant her mind was extremely keen when it came to things of God. And so she has this canticle called the Magnificat, and she draws it from all over the Old Testament. I mean, every verse is from a different part of the Old Testament. And she just recited it. And where am I going with this? She knew, better than any theologian, better than Thomas Aquinas and Augustine and the fathers of the church, she knew what was in store for the mother of God. She knew because the Psalms and the prophets give you more detail of the passion of Jesus thousand years before him, 800 years, than the gospel itself, the gospels themselves. So maybe that's why she was afraid as well. This is quite a commitment to make. And she went through with it. And those words of yes are very similar to her son's words as he approached the passion. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. We look at the resurrection event. This is the fourth phase of the life of Jesus. First is infancy, public life, passion, now resurrection. And we notice a little bit of a a commonality in the different Gospels. As they were saying this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and supposed that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do questionings rise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I, myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Going from the very elevated conversation to the down-to-earth, okay, let's, let's have something to eat now. Uh, that's what it says here anyway. He's always eating. I mean, there's always food. Uh, you, know, you know, very, very profound and mystical conversations. And then now he's cooking breakfast. He's frying eggs or frying something. And then in St. John's Gospel, there's another common piece of information. When our Lord, we read it and heard it on Mercy Sunday, Thomas the Apostle was so blown away by the Passion that he didn't show up for the first meeting, but then he showed up for the second meeting. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So after the disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. So there you have it. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to play ball anymore. And probably some of the apostles, well, he warned you, he told you. He, this has been the ta- we've been talking about this for a year. 
And now you won't believe. No, I won't. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. So what's the issue? Faith would be real easy if we just stuck to miracles and profound addresses and sermons. But when the star of the show dies the most degrading form of death, slowly tortured and put to tremendous shame and humiliated, it was hard for them to believe. And some believed more than others. Tom was, you know, at the bottom of the class. And that's the challenge here. Because to believe in the resurrection, we have to believe in the power of the cross. We ask our Lord, I mean, this is the best place to ask for faith in the cross, which is really faith that every time, whether it's a little thing or a bigger thing, there's always a resurrection at the end of this offering. There's always a resurrection. I know there's a resurrection on the last day, but there's a resurrection every time I offer the cross. There's a renewal. There's an intensification of Jesus' presence. That's what holiness is all about. And to get that Holy Eucharist here, Jesus has to lay down his life. And the Eucharist is probably the best catechesis of the value of the cross. The cross produces a true presence of Christ. And it's not my cross, his cross, this guy's cross, Alan's cross, Harry's cross. It's only one. And we got to get on his cross. And he, he bears it for us. We participate. We could go on and on and on, but we're going to just concentrate on the dynamics of the cross here. The resurrection of Jesus is the sign that the war has been won. That, yes, sanctity is definitely on the horizon if we join him on the cross. Yes, that kingdom will expand. That's a mystery. I heard John Paul, many years ago now, I mean, not centuries ago, I think 1993 to be exact, on the Feast of Assumption on World Youth Day in Denver, and he had all the symbols of the Paschal mystery. He had a very accurate representation of Jesus' suffering on the cross, a beautiful crucifix. And then he had an icon of the Blessed Mother on the altar, or near the altar. And he had the Holy Eucharist there. And then you had uh, the, the representative of Christ, the Vicar of Christ, exhorting these kids, about a million kids, that the war has been won. But it's a question of uniting ourselves to the cross to bring about the effects of that victory. The victory is there. It's a mystery. The Pope said that too. He said it's a mystery. I mean, he's won, but we've got to extend the effects of his redemption. It is hard to believe because the success here, when we look at the cross and resurrection, is counterintuitive. It's about failure. It's about sorrow, it's about sickness, it's about fatigue, it's about vulnerability, it's about anxiety, it's about depression, etc. But united to our Lord's anxiety and depression, united to our Lord's fatigue and pain and loneliness and shame and humiliation and rejection, he extends that kingdom. 
There is resurrection in the world. How does this whole thing work? Because we ask our Lord and our present Holy Father, Pope Francis, he says we, we, we need to be optimistic. And this optimism is based on what? And the Pope, Pope Francis always emphasizing it is union with the cross. And let's ask our Lord for more concrete light here. Because what do we see? We see, I don't know, a vast population of sacramental Christians. I say that negative. Sacramental, but sort of like little tiny saplings, little tiny trees that are meant to be 200 feet tall, but they're just two inches tall, if that. They're, they're no more than sprouting seeds, and it's not their fault. There's a lot of ignorance. They didn't have a chance. So many good people who are serious Catholics and go to Mass frequently and pray hard and go to Eucharistic adoration, they, they have the same complaint, and so many of them. I wish I knew this before. I was like Augustine without the prefix. But I'm so happy I met, the, I got in touch with the church through my friend. And they see it as a treasure. And, and how do we, because there's a lot of good people looking. Just to share an experience, you know, people say, oh, you did, you, you, you must be tired. I gotta, I gotta do something for my living. I mean, you know, I, you know, I can't, you know, yesterday, myself and I think two other priests were in the confessional box, I don't know, 10.30 to quarter of two with a quick break to give out communion. One of the, I didn't take the other break because I just wanted to get done. And I figured, I don't want to take that for granted. It was Mercy Sunday. Because this is not the norm. It's normal, yes. Common, no. And I'm not comparing. I really am I'm not. A buddy of mine said, well, you know, how, how, I, I want to get more penitence in, in, in my parish. And sometimes we may get, I don't know, just to, you know, 10 a month, 15 a month. Well, I think I know the partial answer. St. Josemaria. There's sanctity. Someone paid for that. And, and he says that it wasn't him only. He never said it was him. I'm saying it's him. He said he had thousands of incurable, incurably ill people, lonely people, dying people, people in pain who paid for my confessions yesterday. This is always a little bit scary. Someone sent me an email. Said, you know, I don't know why, but I'm going to offer my, you know, someone's bedridden for you. What, what do you want me to do it for? I said, well, you have to do it just for me. I'm not that important, but uh, do it for the people I may see, I may direct, may preach to. You could do that for them. So it's a mystery, but not total darkness. Lord, how do I extend that kingdom? Which is basically, it's spreading the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive, and, but he's, we want him to be alive for many more people. And what does Jesus say? I mean, there's kind of that, kind of a little bit of a tension with the resurrection. Jesus doesn't say to the holy women who are there, all right, ladies, let's just sit down and chill out. And, you know, it's been a tough holy week. Um, let's just relax, have a snack. No, he says, you know, get back to my apostles and tell them about it. It's all about, it's kind of, there's a tension. Get the message out. This is the message. This is the greatest truth. Jesus Christ is alive, and he's conquered evil. In, in a sense, he's conquered suffering. Doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer, but he's conquered it. I don't want to give St. Josemaria a pass here, hypothetically. Point in the way, he wrote this as a young priest in the 30s. He says, I'm going to tell you which are man's treasures on earth, so you won't slight them. Hunger, thirst, heat, cold, pain, dishonor, poverty, 
Loneliness, betrayal, slander, prison, echoed in that point as the Spanish Civil War. Lord, what does that mean? He is mentioning the raw material of the cross. I mean, it's not pleasure, then it wouldn't be a cross. But notice, you know, the Lord doesn't say, amen, amen, I say to you, you cannot be my disciple unless you suffer every day. He doesn't say that. He says, bear my cross. He never says, just suffer. I don't think he ever says that. But the raw material of the cross is suffering, but it's not the same precisely because the cross morphs into the resurrection. It's one reality. You can't separate it. Why is he saying that? Because he is experiencing the resurrection. Why is failure a treasure? Why is cold a treasure? Why is loneliness a, fra- a treasure? Why is prison a treasure? Because if I connect with our Lord on the cross, he rises in me. That's why. And if he rises in me, I become more of a light. If I become more of a light, I spread the gospel. I um, saw this put into practice. The best commentators on the gospel are those who live it, and I just want to share a pastoral experience. I figure, you know, I see these things in my pastoral ministry so that, you know, if I can, not so many times I can't, but if I can, I'll share it. St. Paul, in his penetration of the cross and resurrection, gives a new insight as he gives instruction to the lay people who are the church in Corinth and very immoral city in those days. And he says that the secret weapon of the disciple of Christ is the cross itself. That's a secret weapon, it's power. So this raw material of limitation, of humiliation, of sickness, of weakness, of vulnerability, is treasure, is the power of God. Let's look at this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We hearken back to the resurrection episodes with Thomas and the other apostles. Our Lord says, yeah, I've risen the dead, but look at those wounds, please. Look at them. Touch them. Put your finger in that wound. Put your hand in the side. Look at my feet. It's real. Now it's glorified, but it's there. And so our Lord is instructing the apostles that the resurrection is part of the cross. And he says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I can understand why you would doubt. I mean, it's, so, it's the most counterintuitive piece of doctrine, that to succeed I must fail, to be healthy I must be sick, to be exalted I need to humiliate myself or be humiliated, to be exalted I have to be put to shame. Very counterintuitive. I will destroy the wisdom of the world. And the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. They're very American-esque. I want to see Success. I want to see signs of success here. That's why they had trouble accepting the Messiah, because they want a temple king. I mean, how, how am I going to believe in someone who's stripped naked and beaten to death and nailed on the cross like an abject criminal? How can, I, how can we believe that? That's, that's a counter sign. That's an anti sign. And Greeks seek wisdom. You've got the philosophers there. They've got to understand the whole thing. 
You know, that doesn't make logical sense, this whole doctrine of the cross. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he keeps, this word power keeps reemerging in chapter one of the first letter to the Corinthians. One of my hospital visits, while well, I was visiting someone who's severely ill and in tremendous pain, and uh, one of the visitors was there and said, you know, they do that, rate your pain between one and ten. But this young lady said, uh, over ten. And, you know, she went through a surgery that it was over ten. Making a lot of inroads in the hospital with the nurses and the doctors, and they're trying to figure out, she was saying, you know, I'm a happy person. He says, but I'm a human being. You know, when it really hurts, I start crying. And I went into a coma, and people were saying I was shouting prayers in my coma. And he said, people don't understand why I'm a happy person. I said, I'm very happy, she said. I'm really happy. I think the person is very saintly. And you see right there, I wouldn't, you know, I'm an employee. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But, you know, God is infinitely wise and loving. And this person here is um, kind of, you know, a witness of the power of the resurrection what it means. And, and our Lord says, look, 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 you know, don't be careful. You're going to get Alzheimer's, a spiritual Alzheimer's, as Pope Francis says. And how do we avoid spiritual Alzheimer's? Uh, touch his wounds. The Pope, Holy Father, alludes to that often. You know, touch those wounds. St. Josemaria says, hide in the wound, just so you don't forget. I'm going from the sublime to the ridiculous, but now I've figured out a way to help people forgive, because, you know, I, 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 we all have to struggle with forgiveness, you know. And I say, well, don't forget, you got to forgive now. Well, easy for you to say it didn't happen to you. You know, what do you say there? After this has happened to me, it's very hard to forgive. And uh, talking about spiritual Alzheimer's, I'm giving all sorts of reasons why you should not get anxious over these slights. You know, they're not that important or, you know, those kind of answers. Subjectively, they can be important. Well, what were the first words of that naked dead man on the cross? In what consisted his humiliation as a reward for all the good he did? Who else, who was especially fatigued and who was ashamed, who was humiliated, who was alone? And when we do that, a little bit of a delayed reaction, but when we do that, there's a renewal inside. We finish up our prayer uh, having recourse to Our Lady. The grand finale of that yes that we celebrate today, the initial yes to the angel, reached a crescendo on Calvary. How she did it, well, that's one of the reasons she was immaculately conceived, to have that kind of power, that kind of grace to actually withstand what she saw. And why was she there? Because she was a firm believer in the resurrection, even though it was her most painful experience imaginable. Well, we ask her to pray for us, because when we unite ourselves to our Lord, our Lord says it to us that his yoke is easy and his burden light. But we've got to be united to his cross. There's only one, it's his. And there's always a resurrection. He says, we'll find rest. Why? Because there's a resurrection. Well, Mary, pray for us so that we believe in this power of God and that we learn to love the cross. In other words, we love the union with Christ, contradictions and suffering bring. And usually they're little things, these little crosses I have to bear, made they produce a resurrection of Christ in my own heart and soul. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, 
and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede.